Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Be lost without your word, but you've given your word because you don't want us to walk in darkness. You want us to walk in light. And so, Lord, as we study your word this morning, speak those words that you said at creation. Speak them into our hearts. Let there be light, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 36, verse 1. Now, these are the generations of Esau. Who is Edom? Esau took his wives of the daughters of Canaan, Adah, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, Oholibamah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite, and Bashemeth, Ishmael's daughter, sister of Nebuchadnezzar, and Adah bare to Esau, Eliphaz, and Bashemeth bare Ruel, and Oholibamah bare Jeush and Jalam and Korah, these are the sons of Esau, which were born unto him in the land of Canaan. And Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and his cattle, all his beasts, all his substance, which he had got in the land of Canaan, and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. For their riches were more than they might dwell together in the land wherein they were strangers, could not bear them because of their cattle. Thus dwelt Esau and Mount Seir, Esau is Edom. And these are the generations of Esau, the father of Edomites and Mount Seir. All right, now, here we finally arrive now at at chapter 36, and and we read this verse that starts off the whole chapter here, verse one. Now, these are the generations of Esau. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, no. (laughs) We've just come to one of those chapters in the Bible, which is another one of these long, seemingly, seemingly, Endless, boring genealogies full of names I can't pronounce. You know, the book just got uninteresting. It was all interesting up till now, right? And the first thing you do when you come to a chapter like this is you look at the bottom and say, how many verses do I have to endure? (laughs) You say, oh, 43. Well, it could have been 63. It could have been worse. At least it's not 63. So all I have to do is just endure this. And then the the book's going to pick up again, right? And it's going to get interesting again. And so there's a tendency to come to a chapter like this and just skip over it. But the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, for instruction in righteousness. That means all Scripture. All Scripture, even the genealogies are profitable. So all we got to do is just take a little deeper. You go a little deeper, right? Or as Scott says, use a little more springboard. So in order for us to understand this chapter, it's highly important for us to go back to a specific time in history in the life of of, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca with Isaac, and that was the time of her infertility. 
when Isaac prayed for Rebekah that she would conceive, and she conceived, and they thought that, okay, we've gone through such a long time with no children, now we're going to have a baby, so now we'll just sit back and have this peaceful pregnancy, right? But that was not far from the truth because there was this just odd, strange struggle, violent struggle that went on inside of Rebecca. This was no normal morning sickness. You know, this was a life and death struggle going on inside of her. And so Rebecca, puzzled, she decided, I'm not going to go to Abraham and ask him about this, you know, what's going on inside of me. And she said, even though Isaac did have his prayer answered by God, she said, I'm not going to go to Isaac and ask him what's going on inside of me. But she went directly to the Lord. She went directly to the Lord to find out what's going on inside of me. And that's where Genesis 25, 22 is so important. Because Genesis 25, 22 is the only recorded prayer that we have of Rebecca. And it was a Rebecca of it was a prayer from Rebecca of what's up? It says the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord answered Rebecca directly. And what the Lord said in this, it's, it's, this chapter 36 has, a, has everything to do with the Lord's answer that he gave to Rebecca because it was so profound and so mysterious as to what the Lord said. It's actually the basis for chapter 36 because it says after that uh, Genesis 25, 22, it says in Genesis 25, 23, the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The one shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So God said to her, two different nations. You know, can't you imagine her going, <laughs> two nations are inside of her. Two different peoples, two different, two manner of people. So God could not have been more definite in telling her that there were two opposites in her. And God was not just describing Jacob and Esau. He wasn't just describing the two, the twins. He told Rebecca that inside of her was the genesis of two different peoples. And what God told Rebecca, that she was going to give rise from this birth to two peoples, and they were not just going to be different personalities, not just different dispositions, but there would be a fundamental difference at their cores, that they are going to be as different as day is from night, as different as good is from evil, as different as a Christian from a non-Christian, as different as life from death, as different as as different as heaven from hell. Now, just put yourself in Rebecca's position there in her place at that time. I mean, you just gotten this answer from God. And by the way, there was no relief in the struggle inside of her. And all you just heard is two nations. And you say, how could there be two nations? I mean, nations of what? You know, you two manner of people. And you say, two kinds of people. What kinds of people are they? You know, and separated from me, you say, what's going to happen to me? And the roller coaster just went on for Rebecca. And all she got was the answer to this question that just raised more questions in her. 
And God didn't give Rebecca any sort of explanation, any sort of interpretation to the answer to there being two nations, two manner of persons in her. And we can imagine how she just must have wondered, what does that mean? And all she could do was just be patient, just wait. And as she waited, and as time went on, she began to see in the lives of Jacob and Esau events slowly unraveled to her of what God meant in this mysterious answer. And the first thing she saw in Genesis 25, 24, was that, and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. There were twins, okay? And she saw that even though they, she said when they were born, they look different. They don't look the same, the next verse says. And the first came out red uh, over like a hairy garment, hairy garment. And they called his name Esau for rough or, or, or a hairy there. And immediately she sees this struggle as the second one comes out and he's grabbing the heel of the first hairy one that comes out. And in verse 26, and after that came his brother out and, and the hand took hold on Esau's heel. So his name is called Heel, Heel Grabber, Jacob. So he gets this name of Heel Grabber. And at that time, Rebecca begins to get the idea that there's going to be a competition. There's going to be a striving between these two and how different they would be. And so the boys grow up, and they understood that, boy, in the time when her womb was the closest these boys would ever be to each other, and they were as close as putting two poles of a magnet that repel each other together in such close proximity, and that was during her pregnancy. And she begins to see these differences play out as they grow up, as it says in the next verses, Genesis 25, 27. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. Esau, but Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So they were twins from birth by opposites in their interests and in their values and the occupations. They were just opposites. And whatever Jacob was, Esau was the anti-Jacob. And just like the Antichrist is the opposite of Christ. Now, chapter 35, when we went on, we had a history really of Jacob, and chapter 35 now takes a break in the history of Jacob. And chapter 36 now is gonna show for us the contrast of Jacob in the life of Esau. This is where we're picking up. And the differences between Jacob and Esau are the same as the differences of two brothers or two sisters from the same family where one is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and another is not. They are so different from each other. They've got different interests. They've got different goals. They've got different values. About the only thing they have in common is that they were born into the same family. That's it. This is especially true of Jewish families, especially Jewish you know, where I find myself. You know, different in every way, every area of life, only related by birth. You know, one time I was out going door to door with Pastor Jim, and we were witnessing to an old Jewish man, and I was witnessing to this old Jewish man about what the Lord Jesus Christ meant to me. And he looked at me and he said, you are so different from me that you and I don't even have the same blood in our veins. That's what he said. And I replied, oh no, we do have the same blood in our veins. We don't have the same spirit in our hearts. <laughs> this is so different. Now, right away in verse one, after being told 
that these are the generations of Esau, we're told who Esau is. Okay, what are we told? Who's Esau in verse one? This is a really simple question. Edom, that's it, Edom. So we're told that Esau is Edom. Now, any place else in the chapter that you can see where we're told that Esau is Edom? Eight, eight. These are generations of Esau. Who is Edom? Okay, another one. How about verse 19? These are the sons of Esau. Who is Edom? Okay, how about the last verse? He is Esau, the father of the Edomites. So four times in this chapter, we're told Esau is Edom. I mean, the first verse in the chapter tells us that Esau is Edom, and essentially the last verse in the chapter tells us that Esau is Edom. You know, you really kind of get the idea. Maybe God wants to press this point with us, maybe. You know, he really wants us to emphasize this to us. He wants us to know Esau is Edom. So because he's emphasized this four times in the chapter, we've got to ask ourselves a question, what does God mean? What does God mean when he keeps saying Esau is Edom? I mean, we've got to say, what is God trying to say to us by continually telling us Esau is Edom? What is the point? What is meant by saying Esau is Edom? Okay, so in order to know that and find that out, we got to go back to where did that name come from, Edom? Because Edom by the way, Edom is from the same root as Adam, uh, so Adam. So Edom and Adam are from the same root, and they mean red. It means red. So in the case of Adam, his name was given to him because he was formed out of the red dust of the earth. Because there was a lot of iron, place where God used the dust or the soil of the earth. So the name of Adam, he was only named that so that he would always remember God formed him from the earth. The hands of God formed Adam from the dust dust of the earth, the red dust of the earth. So he got that. So he got that name. So he so Adam owed by his name, he was to remember, I owe my existence to God. I owe my life to God. I owe everything I have, my provisions to live, everything I have, I owe it to God because my name is Adam. And Adam means red. And that goes back to the time when God took the dust of the earth and formed me. That's a good name. Adam's a good name because it leads a person, if you really carry through with the name of Adam, it leads you to trust God. It leads you to trust God who made me and who sustains me. Good. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Adam. Okay. We received our physical life from God, like Adam, and from nothing but the dust of the earth as God formed formed the dust into a man. Okay. We received our spiritual life from God when he breathed into us the breath of life. So again, all from God. So Adam brings it back the thought from God. Now, even though Adam and Edom have the same root in meaning red, they don't have the same reason for the meaning, Adam and Edom. Edom's name comes uh, from an incident in Esau's life that defined his life. It's the most important incident that happened in Esau's life. You remember what it was? Esau. Remember? He sold his birthright consciously. All right? There was no hairy arms. There was no I'm Esau. On Jacob's part, it was a conscious decision. And that was way back in Genesis 25. What happened there is very important. It says there 
that Jacob sought pottage. He was cooking a stew at home. And Esau came from the field, and he was faint. In Genesis 25, 30, it says, Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, the same red stew, that red lentil stew. For I am faint, therefore his name was called Edom. See, red lentil soup, stew, Edom, red. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now this incident was, was when Esau came from the field, as we said here, he's famished, he's, he's ravenous, and he's so hungry that he made the satisfaction of his hunger his number one priority in life. Esau's personal satisfaction became the focus of his life. And that was when Esau said to Jacob, he said to Jacob, feed me, feed me. That's Esau's focus in his life. It's all about the feed me focus. And Esau just became fixated on that red lentil stew that Jacob was making in the kitchen there. And if you notice there, in that part there, pottage, the word pottage in Genesis 25 is in italics, which means it's not in the original. So Esau, what he really said was something like this in Genesis 25, 30, Genesis 25, 30. Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red, for I am faint. Therefore, his name was called Edom, red. And so Esau just says, feed me with that red, because the stew was red in the Hebrew, which used the red, Adom, Adom, Adom. It was red. He said, Adom. And therefore, he's called Edom. See, that's how he gets his name. So he saw how much Esau was willing to sacrifice for that red lentil stew there when Jacob offered to sell the stew to him for his birthright. Verse 31, Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. So the question that Jacob presented to Esau was this. Are you willing to sacrifice your spiritual position or you're standing with God in order to satisfy your present personal need. And what Esau said was so revealing when he said in, in chapter 25, verse 32, Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And with that statement, Esau said that he saw no value in his birthright. And so he sold it to Jacob for a bowl of stew, red stew. And because he did that, he gets the name Red or Edom. And the commentary on that whole incident on that day was the last statement in verse 34, Genesis 25, 34, when it says, Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage lentils. He did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, he sinned. Do you and I sin? Yes, we sin. The worst part about Esau was not that he sold his birthright but it's the other statement in the verse when it says, then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage lentils, and he, he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. That's the tragic part. There's two really important parts in that verse, and it's after the words, 
he did eat and drink. He did eat and drink. And, and, then, and then the other part is Esau despises the birthright. When it says he did eat and drink, there's like a silent pause. It's like a wait. Okay, he did eat and drink. Okay, he did that. That was a sin. But it was a, like a pause. And it's a pause really to see, well, what's he going to do? Well, what's Esau going to do? I mean, after he sinned, the question is, well, what would he do? What did he do after he sinned? And that's why there's this, that's why I say this, like you can kind of see a silent pause in that verse of after he did eat and drink and the suspense over the question, will Esau repent? But after the words that he did eat and drink, it's like God said, okay, let's see what Esau is going to do next. Let's see if Esau repents. And what does God see? God saw the tragedy of what it says next in that verse. He rose up and went his way. He rose up and went his way. God saw no repentance in Esau because Esau saw nothing wrong with what he did. Esau saw nothing wrong with what he did. He didn't repent. And at the end of that verse, when it says, thus Esau despised his birthright, the tragedy, the most tragic point of that verse is the punctuation at the end. It's a period. That's a tragic period because nothing is said about Esau repenting over what he did. It's just like God put the period there at the end of the verse when God saw that Esau was not bothered by his sin. See, Esau was not bothered by his sin and he didn't repent. Then God wrote the final conclusion and put the period after it. Thus, Esau despised his birthright, period. Final conclusion. That's terrible. That's terrible. Unfortunately, sometimes we sin. But when we do, we can't live with ourselves. We feel horrible. And so we turn around and we say, we got to get this right so we confess our sins to God and we make right whatever we got to do to make it right. That's not the case with Esau. Esau's refusal to repent is captured when it says he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. And we could put in there, unbothered. Thus Esau despises birthright. Esau did not feel badly about what he did. Esau was just like the adulterous woman described in Proverbs 30, verse 20. Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I've done no wickedness. Not wrong, I didn't do anything wrong. I've done no wickedness. She commits adultery, then she sits down for a meal. She's fine. She doesn't feel sick to her stomach at all. She says, that was a good meal. She doesn't feel sick in her stomach, in her gut for what she's done. She's committed adultery. And she sits down for a nice meal and then wipes her mouth and says, there's nothing wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. That's the picture that we have here of Esau. He sold his birthright, his standing before God for that red stew. He ate it. He ate the stew. He drank it and then wiped his mouth and said, I've done nothing wrong. And when it says he went his way, it means he wasn't bothered about that at all. This is what characterizes Esau. Esau, he sinned and he didn't feel bad about it. It didn't bother him. It's just like it didn't bother Cain that he had murdered his brother Abel. The only thing Cain was bothered about was was the, the consequences for it.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 